Welcome to the Saving Lives Podcast. I'm Eddie Joe. Today is Tuesday, the 31st of August of 2021 for historical context. As data changes and everything I might be saying might be proven wrong in a later study. But on August 20th of 2021, the Lancet Respiratory Medicine published a paper titled Awake Prone Positioning for COVID-19 Acute Hypoxemic Respiratory Failure. A randomized controlled multinational open label meta trial. Yeah, that's a that's a mouthful. So this this ties into a to a podcast that I actually recorded and you may or may not have listened to back on March 1st of this year. So I've been working on this for a while now. And when I say I've been working on this, I really mean I've been reading about it and actually doing this on my patients. So I I guess you could say I know what I'm talking about with this. But I'm not gonna get into the nitty gritty of what was done in this trial as it was quite complicated being that you know, it was a meta trial and there was a bunch of different places that did it, et cetera, et cetera. You could all read that for yourself. But what makes this trial so valuable is the fact that compared to previous studies, this is a prospective trial. The other studies that had come out in the past were observational or retrospective studies. Therefore, this is the single best study that we have currently available looking at prone positioning of spontaneously breathing patients with COVID-19. And what I mean by that is Patients who are not intubated, not sedated, patients who can move themselves, patients on high flow nasal cannula, etc. All in all, the authors ended up enrolling 1,126 patients, which is a bunch of patients, and we really got to congratulate them for that. Approximately half were randomized uh, to the group of awake prone positioning, and the other half were standard care where the patients were not proned. When we go ahead, and one of the things I do first, because many people ask me what, what I look for in studies, first things first, like I already do this in my practice, so I already know what I'm looking for, right? And when one of the first things I do is I see what the characteristics are of the patients at the time of enrollment. So therefore, there they will tell you the average age, their sex, where they're from, yada, yada, yada. But one of the things that really caught my eye here was the fact that approximately 60% of the patients were located in the intensive care unit. 35% were in the intermediate care unit. The reason why this is important to me is because this gives validity to the possibility of using high flow nasal cannula outside of the intensive care unit. This is something that many of us have been doing in the current pandemic. However, it hasn't been done in the past. Many institutions, for example, that I'm, that I'm aware of and people have told me, only use the high-flow nasal cannula system in the ICU. At my institution, for example, due to increased patient volumes and the way we've had to flex a little bit in order to take care of everybody who has come through, we have even been using high-flow nasal cannula in the med surge units. So that's something that's you know, a little bit atypical, but desperate times call for desperate measures. Something else worth considering from the characteristics of patients at the time of enrollment was the fact that their median BMI was 29.7. The definition of obesity includes a BMI of 30 and above. For those of us uh, nurses, physicians, RTs, etc., who are listening to this, we and we've we've actually tried this on our patients. We know that the heavier the patient is, and again, I'm not judging, I'm just talking about even even what's included here in the study, that patients who have a BMI over 30 tend to be more reluctant to partake in awake-prone positioning simply to their habitus. Now, this is, this is not the rule, but this is just something that we are seeing.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Also, looking at the characteristics of patient enrollment, it was noted that with regards to obesity, approximately 40% of patients in both arms were defined as being obese. The other thing is uh, all these patients, well, not all of them, but 88% in both arms received glucocorticoids or corticosteroids for their COVID-19. A question that came to my mind immediately when I was reading the study included how long these patients were prone throughout the day. What they noted was that the median daily duration of awake prone positioning was five hours per day. Now, again, those of us at the bedside know that this is quite challenging for a lot of our patients. But there was also there were also differences in the mean daily duration from country to country. And this adds a little bit of a curveball when it comes to looking at those five hours of mean mean duration and analyzing the the results at the end of the day. But I don't think that it takes away from the overall benefit and the overall effect that these authors found in this study. Now, the the primary outcome that was defined as what's going to be the objective of this of this study was treatment failure at day 28. And treatment failure was was defined as including both intubation or death. They found that treatment failure occurred in 40% of patients who were randomized to the awake prone positioning group. The standard group, however, had an increase in intubation or death to 46% rather than 40% of these patients who prone themselves. One's got to think, man, 40% end up, even, even if you, best case scenario, right? The awake prone positioning group, 40% of people end up dying or on mechanical ventilation. That's, that's just an awful statistic. And the difference between the 40 and 46% was statistically significant. So when you go ahead and put these numbers in a needed, number needed to treat calculator, it shows that 16.7%, 16.7, excuse me, patients need to be proned in order to save one patient from intubation or death. Obviously, this isn't a cure, but it definitely does help. The relative risk is 0.86, which was, again, statistically significant. And this means that using awake prone positioning decreases the risk of intubation or death by 14%. This could potentially be a selling point to your patients if you say, hey, by the way, if you do this, it's going to decrease your chance of dying. So might as well try to do it. Obviously, the mortality uh, endpoint wasn't met, but sometimes you got to scare your patients a little bit to get them to help themselves. Amongst the secondary outcomes, the one that caught my eye was the intubation rate at day 28. Here, 33% of the patients in the awake prone positioning group ended up intubated versus 40% in the standard group. Again, you put these numbers into a number needed to treat calculator and you find that the number needed to treat to avoid one intubation is 14.3. Now that's, that's good for an intervention that's free and the patient could do it themselves a lot of times. One of the disappointing findings, however, and again, this doesn't take away from the overall benefit, I'm glad that they did this, is that doing awake prone positioning did not decrease the length of stay in these patients. I was hoping it would help get them out of the hospital faster, and this could be a selling point. In addition to that, there was no difference in mortality, but 
uh, I think mortality and points are difficult. And I guess that's why these authors did not use, use mortality as a primary endpoint, but rather a secondary endpoint. The authors took this to signify that there was no harm caused by awake prone positioning. But I mean, that's an that's a interesting selling point, but I simply see it as it not helping in this regard. I forgot to mention that this is not medical advice and that you should not trust me. The full article is free for you to download. It's down in the show notes below. So check that out and don't trust me. But amongst the other things that could be teased out of this article include the fact that the longer the patient stayed prone, the better they would do. And this is actually reflected visually on figure four on page seven. So if you want to print this out, give it to your patient, be like, hey, look, the more you do this, the better you're going to do. We're all concerned when the patients flip themselves because of skin breakdown, dislodgement of the equipment, but this was not shown to be a problem in the study. Now, that being said, uh, I don't know about you, but we've all seen patients accidentally dislodge their high flow system, and then there's a mad scramble to try to get it back on them, and it's, it's scary. But risks have to be contemplated compared to the possible benefits from this. Now, the study has numerous limitations that the authors wholly admit, and I always recommend that folks read the limitations. But the reality is that this is still a fantastic study, and it shows that we could potentially avoid placing patients on invasive mechanical ventilation by encouraging, to, encouraging them to prone themselves. We could empower our patients to do something to improve their care. Now, again, a lot of people are not going to want to do this. This is just, just the name of the game. But many will, and those who are enthusiastic about trying to help themselves tend to do better. At least that's what I've seen in my practice. There's no randomized control trial. Imagine, imagine setting up that trial. I'll be like, are you motivated? You go in one group. Are you not motivated? You go in another group and see how they do. Anyway, uh, I digress. In my practice, there are many patients who I see every single day, and it's like Groundhog Day while I wait for them to get better. And they're lonely. They're bored out of their minds. I end up sitting with them when I have the chance and getting to know them a little bit more, see what their concerns are. And many times they ask me what they could do to get better. Well, this is a paper that I will now keep handy and provide them, provide to them, excuse me, so that they could better understand why I am asking them to attempt to at least sleep on their belly. I hope you all learned something from this podcast. It was kind of impromptu. I didn't plan on doing it, but I sincerely appreciate your uh, support in all this. And if you could go leave me a good review on Apple iTunes or whatever, I would greatly appreciate it because it definitely helps the podcast reach more people who could benefit and therefore more patients could hopefully benefit from these evidence-based practices. Hope you all have a fantastic day. Thank you very much. Bye.